Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. Investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff. And uh, we've been talking a lot about the race for Bear County judge, which is open for the first time in more than 20 years because Nelson Wolf decided not to seek another term this year. And it's a, we're, it's going to be a fascinating race. We've got four candidates on the Democratic side. Uh, and we're joined today by the youngest of the four candidates, Ivalice Mesa Gonzalez, who has uh, recently served as the chief of staff for Mayor Ron Nuremberg. Uh, prior to that, she worked in community development for the San Antonio Spurs uh, and government affairs for the San Antonio River Authority. She's been very active in democratic politics. Um, and uh, we're really happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. You know, I guess I want to start off by asking, you know, this is a, this was obviously a big step for you, a big decision. You know, you were, I know that you were, uh, you enjoyed your role in the mayor's office um, and uh, had, been, had been with the mayor for, I think, for the past four years or so. When mm-hmm. did you decide and what, what was the, the process for you to decide that you wanted to make this, this leap and run for county judge? So um, I decided to uh, run after talking with family and uh, close family friends, um, wanting to knowing that uh, Commissioner Rodriguez and, you know, the folks that were being talked about were Commissioner Rodriguez and Senator Menendez, who I respect uh, tremendously for the work that they've done in our community. So um knowing that they were not running, um, I started looking into it. And I knew that obviously I was enjoying my time in the mayor's office. Uh, Really some of the proudest moments of my life will forever be uh, working for the mayor. And, um, but I knew that this was an opportunity uh, to serve my community. Um, And after the mayor, I'm sorry, after the county judge announced that he was not gonna to serve another term, um, then like I said, Commissioner Rodriguez and Senator Senator Menendez also were not going to seek this office. Um, I thought that this was the opportunity to serve my community in the most effective way. Your mother, uh, Choco Mesa, uh, you know, is a legendary figure in in San Antonio politics. She was really in the vanguard of sort of the voter registration effort that we saw in the Latino community that really, I guess, really developed in the 1970s and, 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 and built from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, you've, you've talked about how, you know, you were, you were someone who as a child, you would go to, you know, labor meetings, you were, you know, going to political events at <laughs> a really young age. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you had a really unique upbringing and a really, you have a really unique perspective on politics. And I wondered, you know, what, when you think about what you observed, um, you know, as far as your, your mother's work and, and just the conversations that you all had about politics. I mean, are there, there are things that, that stand out to you as far as like how to, how to put together a campaign, uh, a successful campaign yeah. in a race like this? 
So I think, yeah, um, growing up in a family that was dedicated to public service, um, that was always rooted in community. It was rooted in um, expecting the most out of government um, and knowing that government could uh, could be helpful to residents. Um, and that's something that I watched my entire life um, and it, extremely unique situation because I thought everybody grew up like that when I was younger, yeah. um, but that was not the case and that was okay. But um, I was involved in whether it was labor rallies, I, I've said this before, senatorial conventions, literally my first one being in a stroller in like 1982. Um, and the conversations that we were around, it was, you know, on campaigns that we were, that my parents were part of. Um, but it was always with the notion that um, there was such a thing as strong government and strong elected leaders who fought for their communities. Um, and so that's, that's how I grew up. That's what I look for in an elected official. I respect um, those positions a lot. And um, I, for me, you know, living here, uh, being from this community, um, I'm rooted here in San Antonio. I'm, I'm San Antonio girl through and through. Um, and uh, that means a lot to me. It, it means a lot to me uh, running for an office where I can continue to serve my community, especially now as a parent. You know, I've got two kids. My husband and I have two kids of uh, seven and four years old, and we're working for them now. Um, and for all the kids that I'll never meet and all the families that I'll never meet, you know, that's who we're working for uh, day in and day out in this community. What are the big things you want to do as county judge? What's what's on your agenda? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that question. So this is an opportunity to bring in a new generation of leadership for the county. This is a new voice. Um, we are a young city. Uh, judge Nelson Wolf did a fantastic job for 20 years that he had this seat. Um, but this is, um, again, an opportunity to uh, have a new voice at the table. Um, our city is a young city. You know, our median age is, is 34 years old, I believe. Um, and a lot of our growth is from uh, the community itself. It's, it's homegrown. Um, and for me, a priority just based on my experience in the mayor's office and over the last two years is expanding our public health system. Um, we are improving, uh, we're a community of underserved folks and improving our healthcare services is, is an absolute must. Mm. Um, I think university health has done a fantastic job of expanding health, the expanding the healthcare system. They've um, invested in telehealth, which became crucial during the pandemic when folks were doing a lot of their, um, a lot of their um, appointments online or on, through their phone. Um, I think making sure that we're planning for the future, um, that means investing in our infrastructure. Uh, affordable housing is important for that future planning that we do. Um, so, and I think there's always this balance too, like as government, there's always this balance between uh, planning for the future and rapid response. I think those are the two things that a uh, local government is always doing. Um, and so that's, that's what my focus will be on. Now, just in terms of university health, so are you talking about an expansion of, of UHS so that you're opening more clinics or? Yeah, I think, yes. Yeah. I think we continue expanding those networks. I know they bought some property off in Rotama park. There is some property that was just purchased on the Southeast side and, um, 
Commissioner Clay Flores's precinct. Um, again, it's medical offices that we need to make sure we have because the access to healthcare, the folks that um, use the services, the closer they are to those services, the more likely they will to use them. I mean, that's like anything in our community, right? The access to those services is what creates the experience um, to those services. And so the relationship they build with their healthcare provider um, is something that they, they will you know, use long term and share with their family as well. You know, during your campaign, you've, you've touted, you know, your experience in, in city government in the mayor's office as something that can be helpful to you uh, as county judge. And, and you've talked about wanting to kind of, uh, you know, build bridges between city government and county government. Are there some sp- specific areas where you could see uh, maybe an expanded sort of cooperation between how, you know, city and, and county governments work? I think I think our immediate example is what we saw recently over the last two years with covid um, without the coordination from the city and county, we wouldn't have been able to um, do what we did during this pandemic. We would not have been able to reach residents. Um, and whether it was on the, the Metro Health side of things or whether it was a city and county working together with the mayor and judge, right? So the mayor and judge themselves coordinating their efforts with giving live updates to community day in and day out um, with these live briefings that we did. But then there was also a coordination of our public health services. Um, So that's an an immediate example that we saw um, firsthand. But I think we see that everywhere. I think we see that in our library programs, right? I think we see that in our our parks, uh, our creekways. Um, So there's a number of areas I think that the city has shown collaboration before COVID and, and will continue after. So this is a, this is a crowded race and, you know, you've got a, you've got uh, commissioner DeBerry running as well. How, how do you, how, how do you elevate your voice uh, to, to familiarize voters with, with who you are with such a, a crowded, crowded uh, ballot? I think it's just, I, well, how do I, how do I familiarize folks with who I am is, is getting in front of as many people as I can and talking about the work that we did in the mayor's office. Some of the proudest moments again of, of my life will be working for the mayor. And especially in those last two years, we led in very difficult circumstances. Um, and at the same time of dealing with the pandemic, there was the basic services that still needed to be provided for our community. And I'm, I'm proud of that work. Um, we never slept. We worked 24 seven and, you know, at times it, it was, it was brutal, but, but we did it because we always had community in mind. We knew we had to communicate with our residents. Um, and it was never, it really wasn't the best news. Um, and, but we had to do it. That was a responsibility that we have to the community and that's the same responsibility I'm going to have when, you know, if elected. Um, I think, you know, I will say that local government is the best training ground you will ever get. Um, and being in the center of local government uh, for the past four years has shown me what's possible when it comes to coordination with the city and county. I think that's extremely important as we continue to grow. Um, and knowing that I can lead the, the county through that growth uh, is something I, I take uh, very seriously. You know, one of the key roles for commissioner's court is overseeing the operation of the, of the county jail. And it's it's an issue that, that always gets a lot of attention. And obviously there have been some some problems in recent years with that. Are there any 
any steps that you would want to take or anything that, that uh, you'd want to focus on when it comes to the role of the commissioner's court and, and the, and then the jail? Yeah. So I think um, I would say that, you know, one of the first uh, pieces of criminal justice reform is, is decreasing our jail population, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for every dollar that we save is a dollar that we can use in restorative justice programs. Our specialty courts, right, have a proven track record of making sure that um, people are not put back into a, a criminal justice system um, that isn't helping uh, identify the root of the issue, So I think that it really does start with um, decreasing our jail population. And so working with the sheriff, I know that he um, is obviously a priority to him. Um, So helping him through that, um, whether it's retention or um, of of these of sheriffs or um, bringing new sheriffs in. Um, I know there's an issue with overtime. Uh, and all those things can get addressed, and I, I'm, I'm happy to work with the, uh, the sheriff on any of those issues. But again, I think providing uh, more resources to our specialty courts um, is super, is helpful for, for all of us as a community. You know, one of the the, the challenges that that this county has, another and every county in the state uh, has, is is sort of uh, adjusting to the uh, election law that was passed. Uh, in 2021 by the Texas State Legislature. And we've heard from Jackie Callanan, the elections administrator, about how difficult it's been because, um, you know, the, the county officials aren't, aren't allowed now to to send unsolicited uh, mail ballot applications. And they have to be very careful about that. And and, and just with some, some, some problems with the law have now resulted in a lot of applications being rejected. Um, you know, in 2020, the, the commissioner's court really took an active role in trying with during the COVID pandemic to to make, you know, voting easier. And now, you know, this law has, uh, you know, is, is, I think has made it really challenging for for commissioner's court and, and, and the rest of the counties and the rest of the state to 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 deal with this issue. Is there anything that you you look at as if you were county judge going forward to to try to. Um, Make just make sure that that the the, the, uh, the voting process works as, as smoothly as possible, and that people aren't being disenfranchised. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the state did not. Um, I mean, the state knew what it was doing when when they when they passed this um, law, and I think it's up to now our local government, our, our county government, our elections administrator to to be innovative and f- make sure we are looking at every which way to get to voters. Um, so expanding um, access to the polls is important. I think even reminding folks where their polls are. I mean, we vote all the time and sometimes I forget, oh, I'm, I vote here. I don't vote mm-hmm. here. And or now we can vote anywhere. But before I remember that was always an issue. But even now, some folks don't know that they can do that. So it's continuing to educate our, our community um, to, to, to show them um, where they can vote, I think, is important. Um being as proactive as we can be, again, being innovative, uh, making sure that our own elections administrator does not is not part of that problem, I think is important for all um, county government at this time. Right. So. Are, are you concerned about about the, the current administrator that we have? No, I think we we have to. It's it's a lot of. um it's a lot of work, not ever going to deny that. And especially in the state that we live in. Um, and so you are seeing the, the impact of that as, as media, as immediate as 
um, in the next five weeks, right? And so the administrative, the elections administrator is already dealing with uh, mail ballots, right? That have that have become a major issue in our community with more than half of them having to be returned. Um, and so making sure she has the resources, um, making sure the department itself, itself is staying innovative. I think those are just important things that we have to not lose sight of. So under uh, County Judge uh, Nelson Wolf, uh, capital projects, particularly in the downtown area, have been a big deal for years. I'm thinking about, you know, the San Pedro uh, Cultural Creek. And now we're talking about, you know, maybe a quarter mile link, uh, kind of linking San Pedro to the Riverwalk. Uh, what's your philosophy about that? I mean, would we see fewer big capital projects under your administration or would you just kind of carry on as as we've been going? I think we need to um, invest and make room for those big projects. I don't think they go away because Judge Wolf is no longer serving. Uh, Again, those have to be priority for the next county judge. We're growing as a community. Uh, We know we are. Um, You know, when I so I grew up in Lavaca neighborhood. Uh, My dad was the the neighborhood association president. So grew up in Lavaca, then moved to the north side in high school and then our first home when we were married was off Braun in 1604, which had nothing at the time. This was, you know, 14 years ago. Um, you go out there now and it's a completely different area. I mean, you can really get everything you need within two or three exits of 1604. Um, and, and it's good for folks that live out there, that, that raise families out there, that, that uh, work nearby. Um, but no, I, I don't think those things go off the table. Those capital projects are what make us who we are, um, that we're ready for growth. We, we want to, we want to continue growing. Um, and those take partnerships. Those, those are not just done by Judge Nelson Wolf. Those were done with a lot of coordination, um, with the city, with the county. I'm sorry, with the state. Uh, federal dollars are at play sometimes with some of these big capital projects. So, um, that's something that is important to me that we stay coordinated, especially on those big projects for our region. Uh, before we wrap things up, I, you know, early voting starts in uh, three weeks for the primary election. Um, is it your <laughs> is it your expectation that um, the county judge race is going to go into a runoff? You know, I, I'm not going to say yes or no to that. I know that I got into this race uh, 27 days before our financial reports were due. And I was able to um, come in with strong um, numbers on my finance report. I worked hard for those uh, those contributions. I feel like those are investments in my campaign, and I treat investments as such. I, I want to make sure we're investing the money in the right way in this campaign and stretching every dollar that we can. Um, and I know that locally, I have the um, highest number of indiv- individual contributions on my CNA report. Um, I didn't have the ability to move political accounts over. Um, this is, you know, my first time running, so I didn't have that. And I wasn't able to get money from, you know, um, outside of San Antonio with Austin, uh, lobbyist. Um, so that's important. I think it means a lot to me that the community has supported this campaign again, with the most individual contributions. Um, this is a community driven campaign. And I, I'm excited for the opportunity. I think whoever comes out of this um, for November, we have to to, to know that this is going to be a, a huge race. A county ride race is yeah. a million dollar race. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm ready to do that. 
Well, Ivalice Mesa-Gonzalez, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. You guys stay safe out there, okay? Thanks a lot. Thank you. On January 13th, City Council, uh, by an 8-3 to vote, approved a 3.85% rate hike that had been requested by CPS Energy. Uh, And here to discuss that vote is District 1 Councilman Mario Bravo. He's someone who's been really outspoken on uh, concerns that he's had about CPS Energy. Um, And he voted to uh, approve the the rate hike, but with some reservations. Uh, Councilman, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Glad to be here. So what was your thought process? I know this is something that you, uh, that, you know, and you talk to people in the community. I know you were really, uh, you know, I think you really spent a lot of time kind of weighing the, 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 your options on this one and, and all the different factors. Um, what ultimately was, uh, went into your decision to, um, to vote for the rate hike? Look, I, I'm, I'm 100% committed to affordable rates, but I was looking at this long-term and, you know, what I saw was an extremely unstable organization that we own and an organization that I'd been interested for over a, a period of years. I've been interested in reforming CPS Energy um, so that they're more accountable to the community, so they're more transparent in how they operate. And so I was looking at all of this. And the truth is that you know CPS Energy wasn't wasn't proposing one rate increase they were proposing three rate increases over 4 years and so i wasn't just looking at the vote on the most immediate rate increase i was looking at how do we how do we leverage that to make sure that we can stabilize CPS Energy as an organization and you know try to have affordability over the long term not not just you know through this one vote uh, so city council uh is really pressing the issue of doing uh, a study, a third-party study of CPS's finances and management. Uh, and, you know, say that the results of that study come back uh, sometime this year, probably as expected. Uh, and, and say you don't like what you see. Uh, you see, uh, you know, uh, an executive team that's weak, that needs to be shored up. What what power does city council have to to reform you know to to use the audit as kind of a roadmap for reform i mean how can city council bring that about well it we let's uh, let's start with this we have more power than we did in the past because historically city council hasn't gotten engaged on um you know, exercising any kind of oversight on CPS energy. And I think that we saw that change in, you know, in the last few months. We And I was encouraging my council colleagues to, to get more engaged and, you know, not to just approve a rate increase, but if you're going to approve it, make sure that we are asking for reforms. And so, I think that CPS Energy has heard us and they recognize that we're going to be more engaged. And we also have an opportunity now because we now have a municipal utility committee that CPS Energy has to come and report to every month. And so there's an opportunity for us to do check-ins. But in addition to that, I I shared that same concern, right? Um, CPS, I mean, the city council, we have limited opportunities as compared to the board, which has direct oversight. And that's why I made sure to meet with all the board members prior to my vote and make sure that there was some alignment with, um, you know, with this study, which I'm calling uh, something that can provide us with a roadmap to success. So what do you think, uh, you know, just 
thinking about you know everything you've heard from CPS and about CPS over the last few months, just in the run up uh, to this rate increase vote, what strikes you as kind of the the most important thing to change at CPS? Well, you know, I, I'm not an expert and I think my council colleagues aren't experts. And that's why we're asking for an outside expert study. Mm-hmm. I think that so you haven't seen uh, anything in the last few months that you'd want to change if you had the power to change it. Um, I, you know, I, I think that we need some cultural corporate culture changes over there. So, so that, um, you know, we've had so many people quit recently. So how do you create a culture that it creates a, a safe and positive work environment where people are going to want to stay and work there, where you can attract new talent to work there, but also a culture that, um, that, that is, that, that, that is more prone to adapt to innovation because the, the electricity market it, the u- electric utility business model is rapidly evolving. And how do you change with that? If you don't change with it, you're not going to stay competitive. You're not going to have affordable rates, um, you know, and you're not going to be able to make big strides towards sustainability. Mario, CPS has apparently reached some settlements with some gas suppliers at this stage, but they're unwilling to discuss the, the, the details of those. Do you, is that understandable in your view? I mean, I think it's standard practice to not discuss um, pending lawsuits. And right now, I think they have a lot of similar lawsuits. And so if they discuss how they settled with one, then they lose a competitive advantage in how they settle with another right. if, it's, right. if it's a similar one. So I'm, I'm relatively understanding about that. Mm. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up. You know, that's, that is a little bit of a curveball for us because we didn't just approve a rate increase. We approved two things. Uh, in city council. The second thing that we approved was the regulatory asset. And, you know, a lot of people were upset that we, that we approved a rate increase and said, no, we, we don't care about affordability, but, you know, approving the, the regulatory asset tells a different story because, you know, on if for the average customer's bill, that, that regulatory asset basically was, um, we were stuck with a huge bill for the, for the winter storm URI, uh, for all that price gouging that we incurred. And so did we want to just bill everybody for it in the next month to pay off all those energy bills or for the ones that we had settled on, right? Which was approximately half of that billion dollars or just under maybe a little over $400 million. Did we want to stick our, our, our customers with $400 million in bills on top of the regular bills? Or did we want to take out a long-term low interest loan and let people make payments on that over 25 years so that it was more affordable? And we approved that. And so I, I think that got lost in that we were trying to protect our customers from any kind of bill shock from the winter storm. Hmm. Now, uh, at, kind of out of that, as, as CPS settles uh, you know, these 18 lawsuits against gas suppliers and, you know, they might not settle all of them. Some of them might go to court. We just, you know, uh, might actually go to trial. We just don't know yet. Uh, But eventually there is going to be more money that will have to be repaid. So basically you city council approved, you know, this regulatory asset, which is really a a bond. It's bond financing for $418 million, but it looks almost certain that you're going to have to add to that. And isn't it the case that city council will have to approve 
any 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 increase over the monthly payment of one dollar and twenty six cents that ratepayers are going to be paying off of the we, next five years. Yeah, we, we as we settle those, we are going to have to uh, approve increases in that regulatory asset without a doubt. That is also why it was important to approve the the three point eight five percent rate increase um, because. We were in in danger of of um, you know, and we'd already been warned by the credit rating agencies that they may raise our interest rates. And so, the one huge factor that they look at is what what kind of independence does CPS Energy have from council, from the political process, and if CPS Energy feels, if their board and their staff feel that they need a rate increase, are they able to obtain it? And so if they propose a rate increase and they're not able to obtain it, then they're likely to to get a a credit rating hit and have interest rates go up, right? And so if that were to happen, then any of these long-term loans that we take out to pay off those those winter bills, that interest rate goes up. You know, CPS Energy has $6 billion in debt right now. And so a 1% rate increase would mean an additional $60 million a year that we would be paying on debt. And so that's another $60 million that, you know, that's being paid by our customers that they get nothing in return from. And so part of that is, you know, some people might say, well, why are you, why are you, why do you care about these credit rating agencies? Why are you trying to protect, you know, Wall Street fat cats? And I'm not, it's because it comes full circle and because, you know, high, high interest rates end up hurting the customers. And so it's about protecting the customers. You pointed out that um, while the vote was on this one requested rate hike, that there were really more, there were a couple more in play, that, that you know that, that CPS Energy is going to come back and request a couple more uh, in, the, in the next few years. So in, and, that you, and you mentioned that this, this was really the, the issue as you were kind of mulling this over. So did you have to reach a point uh, in your own mind where you, you were convinced that you were comfortable with not only this proposed rate hike, but the ones that are that are looming ahead to feel that you could make this vote? You know, I, I'm uh, I'm looking to, to how can we reduce those future proposed rate increases, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, I, I saw CPS Energy uh, to some extent as a sinking ship. And so it's like, OK, what do we need to do to stabilize that ship? And we I can't you know, we need to invest in that ship to stabilize it first and course correct, get on the right course so that hopefully we can reduce some of those future rate increases. And so I I saw this as helping to provide CPS Energy with the financial resources so that we could do that. And, and, you know, and then, and then also invest in this outside expert study so that we can look at, um, organizational um, or operational efficiency organization wide. So we can look at other cost saving measures so that we can look at um, improving corporate culture and do all of these things to, to stabilize, refine, improve the organization, and then hopefully reduce future projected rate increases. You know, before we let you go, I wanted to, to ask you about an issue that's, that's somewhat peripheral to uh, to, you know, to the, what you all were dealing with uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is the the spruce coal f- coal fired uh, plant, and 
um, there has been some talk recently, uh, you know, about I, I know there have been calls from environmentalists locally to 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 shut down the plant. There's been some discussion of maybe converting, you know, one unit to uh, to to making it a, a, a gas uh, plant. So I, I guess I want to get your take on what uh, you know what you would like to see from CPS Energy when it comes to the future of the the spruce plant. Well, I want the rate advisory committee to be able to look at this issue. That's what they're tasked with. And I'm disappointed that we, you know, that they haven't been able to do that work yet, but we've got a commitment to allow them to do that work and bring those recommendations forward uh, within a year. And so the idea is that, you know, that they'll be able to look at what are all the different options, because we, we actually have some power plants that are reaching retirement age very soon. And then we have, so we have ones that you we're going to need to shut down. Then we have power plants, which we could choose to shoot, shut down. And then what are we going to replace them with? And so I want them to, to be able to weigh all of those issues, look at the different opportunities, what's going to help us, you know, reliably be able to keep the, the lights on and which ones will allow, which opportunities will allow us to reduce our emissions the most and then be able to come forward with recommendations. Councilman uh, Mario Bravo, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And for everyone listening in, I hope everyone's doing well. We'll be back next week. Take care.